was the enforcer, there's no doubt. Test, test, test. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is time to get started. In fact, we're a couple minutes late even, so we're going to dig right in, especially because I have to let you out early, which means I get my Bible study time cut short. So um, we're going to get started as soon as we can. Dennis wants to share some announcements. This time, we get the real McCoy, not a video. So I introduce to you the superstar, the legend, Dennis Ashour. Okay, we all know who you're here to listen to, so I'm going to make this very short. So, uh, actually, the video I had the video last time because I was up in the North Woods last time uh, for that. So, uh, just a couple things dealing the senior ministry, though. Uh, we have uh, coming up the, the we're going to go to the EEA Museum coming up, and sign up is finishes up next Monday, I believe it is for that. So, um, if we get a couple more people, the, the Rate drops to eight and a half dollars person. Uh, what is it? Uh, Pizza Ranch is right down there for eating and stuff like that. So, uh, right across the road is pretty close to there. So, if you're if you're interested, you know the signups are on the two bulletin boards up here. Uh, one thing to mark your calendar on is, and this is a ways out, but it's May nineteenth is going to be our planning session for doing the upcoming event and trips and stuff like that for 2023 and 2024. So uh, we're looking for input on that. We're looking for ideas, what are, what people might be interested in doing and stuff. So um, there'll be an email coming out shortly on that also. And the last thing I want to cover on though is just, uh, I want to touch on this a little bit. The, the, the Stevens Ministry is hosting, it's called Fox Valley Memory Project Presentation. Uh, coming up on the 16th, Thursday the 16th. This is something that's very near and dear to my heart. I've uh, been touched more than more than enough by dementia and stuff like that. It's a great resource. Come and learn. I just encourage you to come and learn about it uh, and how we can better serve uh, this population and stuff too. So with that, I will get you back to Pastor Dan. Thank you. Check your dates. Dates for me up every time. <laughs> but 
but it is in the bulletin of the subcommittee. All right, y'all. Good to see you. Glad to get into the Word. This is two weeks in a row. We're digging into the Gospel of Mark together. Today we get into this beautiful story of blind Bartimaeus, uh, this man who had such great faith. And not only that, but some great insight and understanding of who the man was who was standing right in front of him, Jesus the Christ. So we'll get a chance to talk about blind Bartimaeus, uh, his faith, and especially his wonderful confession. You remember what he calls out? He calls, um, oh, we'll get there, Jesus, he's called the son of David. So we're going to unpack what that means together. It's a really cool section of scripture that we get to be in today. So let's bow our heads and ask God to bless us as we study it. Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, uh, praise and thank you for this day that you've given us. The sun was poking its head out. I uh, actually saw a big old giant moon this morning too, Lord. Uh, just beautiful reminders of this great creation that you've given us and blessed us. And uh, every day the sun comes up, it's a reminder of your grace and goodness, God, and we are thankful for it. And we're thankful that we were able to gather, uh, whether we're here in person, whether we're participating, watching online, uh, we are grateful that we can be together and that we can uh, study your word and hear you speak to us. Because we know this book we study is not just a, another history book, uh, not another great uh, book uh, that's been passed down from generation to generation written by men, but we know that this book is your word, that you will speak to us through the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. So God, thank you for it, and bless us as we learn and grow in it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all, open up to Romans, uh, excuse me, Romans. I'm so used to doing Romans. That's tonight. Mark chapter 10, please. My favorite book of the Bible. Mark chapter 10, and we're going to start at verse 46. I will read it, and then we will unpack it together. All right. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the, to the blind man, cheer up <laughs> on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And this is the gospel of the Lord. Can you not just smile when you hear this? But my favorite line is, cheer up, dude. <laughs> There's something amazing that's going to happen. So cheer up, dude. You're, you're right to call out. Cheer up because he is here. Uh, there's just a message there for us, isn't it? You know, uh, for life. So uh, let's take a look at our sheets as we start to talk about this great story. By the way, this is so important, this story of blind Bartimaeus, that all three of the synoptics include this in, the, in their Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story of blind Bartimaeus. So 
it must be something pretty important buried in there uh, that we want to unpack as well. All right, so let's look at the first paragraph. I think this has to be one of the most cheering and encouraging incidents in the Gospels. A man cried out to Jesus in his need, persisting even though those around him were discouraging him, and finally received the blessing he was looking for, and his whole life was dramatically changed. Though blind, Bartimaeus saw his God-given opportunity more clearly than we often do. He teaches us to be aware of our needs and our opportunities and to pursue our prayers in faith and hope. So that's my summary statement. This is what I'm hoping that we will learn together today, this first paragraph, right? Learn from Bartimaeus. Next, how about Jericho? You ever heard of the city of Jericho before? Maybe you know that song. Joseph in the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joseph in the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Okay, you know it, right? So we know Jericho. That city is old. It's an ancient, ancient city, isn't it? Uh, so Jesus was five miles west of uh, Jericho, five miles west of the Jordan River, and some 17 miles east and north of Jerusalem. Its location, Jericho, was commercially advantageous because it was a trade center for the salt and minerals that were mined from the Dead Sea. So that would be good, right? But don't miss this. And each year, thousands of Jewish pilgrims passed through Jericho on their way to Jerusalem. Pilgrims from Galilee, that's way up in the north by the Sea of Galilee, right? To avoid traveling through Samaria, usually crossed the Jordan River, traveled south along the East Bank, and then crossed the Jordan River again near Jericho to head up to Jerusalem. And so Jericho was in what they call the the Jordan Depression, this deep, uh, low elevation, some 820 feet below sea level. So it marked the beginning of what is called by the pilgrims the ascent to Jerusalem. Have you heard in some of the Psalms, uh, uh, or often when you read the Psalm, the introduction to the Psalm will say a Psalm of ascent, Right? See, now you know what that is. This is the psalm that they would sing or speak together as they would ascend from the depths of Jericho, 820 feet below sea level. And if you read on, Jerusalem was 2,500 feet above sea level. So what we're talking about is about three quarters of a mile climb. That's about, right, what we're talking about? That, that's a good, long ascent to Jerusalem. So uh, before I move on, I, I want you to get out the map that you collected when you came in here, which I need to grab. Oh, thank you. See, I, I, I don't want you to miss how incredible this sort of geography and what it teaches us, right? So if you're looking at your map, you can see right smack in the middle of Samaria, right? Do you see that? And who lived in Samaria? Duh, the Samaritans, <laughs> right? That's like who's buried in Grant's tomb, right? The Samaritans lived in Samaria. And how did the Jews and the Samaritans get along? Oh, they were buddy old buddy chummy, weren't they? No, there was deep hatred there. So listen, what the Jews would do to avoid traveling from traveling to Jerusalem. 
any of the Jews who lived up in the north of Galilee, if they were going to go down to a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate any one of the major feasts or festivals like Passover, the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, any time to do that, instead of traveling the easy route, which would be from Galilee straight down to Jerusalem, do you see what these crazy people did? They crossed over the Jordan River. Do you see that? To the east side of the Jordan, traveled down the east side of the Jordan River, and then did what they have to do again. Cross back over the Jordan River, right, to travel up this giant ascent, three-quarters of a mile to Jerusalem. It would have been so much easier if they just would have come straight down, right? But no, their, their deep hatred for the Samaritans, right, was so intense that this is the route that they would travel. So here we have Jesus. He's traveling this route with the disciples on the way to celebrate Passover. You know what's going to happen right after the story of blind Bartimaeus' healing? You know what happens the very next day is Palm Sunday. The day we call Palm Sunday. They didn't call it Palm Sunday, but, you know, we now call that Palm Sunday. That was Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And why was he coming into Jerusalem with this large crowd? And why were there large crowds in Jerusalem ready to go there? Why was everybody in Jerusalem? Because Passover was coming, right? The very next week. So Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover with this large crowd of pilgrims who were on the road, right, moving through Jericho on up to Jerusalem for the Passover, the ascent to Jerusalem. And uh, along the way, happened to stumble across this blind man named Bartimaeus. Isn't that fascinating? How God works, you know, and uh, we're going to talk about this, but I think it's pretty remarkable that Jesus' mission He's traveling. Everybody's with him. There's crowds pressing in on him. He's got places to go and places, people to see and things to do. And he hears one person calling out in need. And what does he do? Does he give him the old, ah, sorry, I'm, I'm a little busy. I'm in a hurry. I got places to be. You can't believe what this next week's going to be for me, man. Right? None of that. He stops and calls the man and does this great miracle of healing. Right? So we'll unpack and have fun with that too, right? So don't miss the geography, and it helps us understand why there's a large crowd here that witnessed the miracle. But we're going to see in a minute, it's not just the miracle they witnessed, but it's Jesus finally affirming who he is. Right? We're going to see in the past when people called him the Messiah, or when they saw great things in the Gospel of Mark, what would Jesus always say? Shh, don't tell anybody. Right? I know I just did the most incredible miracle of your life, but you can't tell anybody. I know you just witnessed the transfiguration, me and all my glory, but you can't tell anybody. Right? Finally, he acknowledges who he is. Uh, and that's, we're going to see the real miracle, uh, is, is finally on letting the world see who he is and what he came to do just five, six days from now. All right? So geography is important. All right, back to my paragraph. Jesus was journeying in Jerusalem to bring his ministry to its climax. And a large crowd was with him, many of them fellow pilgrims going to Jerusalem for the Passover. So when blind Bartimaeus learned who was passing by, he called out, and these words are significant, right? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
So why do you think those who were around him rebuked him and told him to be quiet? Do you think he was the only person crying out for healing that day? I doubt it. You know, after all the miracles Jesus had done, the crowds gathering together, I'm sure there was a, a lot of that. But this one, there was something about this one that got the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the, the crowds a little riled up. What do you think it is? It's this phrase, the son of David. Yep, that, that, so what you might not know, uh, that they all certainly knew, that the term son of David was a loaded term, loaded phrase. To call someone the son of David was to call them the Messiah was to call them God's chosen one, was to call them the anointed promised one who is going to save us, and in their minds, save us from what? From Roman rule and opposition. Was going to save us and deliver us back to the glory days when David was king. So what, I've been, what, what I saw, a lot of people will say that one of the reasons that people told them to be quiet uh, I read this in a commentary this week as I was preparing the lesson, that, that in those days people believed that disabilities were a judgment that God gave to someone for some sin in their life, or judgment for sin of someone like their parents, right? And that this person was, this is exactly what they thought, this person who was struggling with some sort of disability or illness or disease was getting what they deserved. Doesn't that just sound remarkable now? That they were getting what they deserved. And so one of the commentators I read said the reason they were telling them to be quiet was just hush. Don't ask for something that you don't deserve, which is healing, but just take your lot. You know, just grin and bear. You're getting what you deserve, so don't call out for healing. Right? That's a thought. In fact, uh, where is it? Um... Let's just look at this because it's, it's important that we understand this too, I think. John chapter 9. Yeah, John chapter 9, verse 1. This is a sort of where this thinking that people get what they deserve for their sins, that God punishes for your sins, right? Here's where this idea it is again illustrated in John chapter 9. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Another blind man. See, don't miss that we're talking about a same thing, right? Blindness. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Do you see that the question is not why do bad things happen to people? But they, they assume, they know why bad things happen to people. Do you hear that? Again, the question is not why do bad things happen. The question is which, who actually did the sin so that this person was born blind? Do you see? Was it him? Was he suffering for his own sins? Or is he suffering for the sins of generations before him? What's Jesus' answer? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. See, Jesus knows that in God's hands, 
any circumstance can be used for greater good, right? Just Jesus knows that any bad that we have in our lives, God can turn around and use to bring him glory. And if you read the rest of the story, that's exactly what happens. This man is cured. And uh, there's this just incredible exchange between the religious authorities and this man. And through it all, you know, the witness of who Jesus is and what he's able to do was spread and shared to, to more and more people. Right? So the point is, you can go back to Mark now. Uh, the point is, that you can you see the thought of the day was, that guy, Bartimaeus, you really should just be quiet right now. Because God is giving you this blindness because of your sin or because of your parents' sin or someone's. So don't be calling out. That's one thing I've heard as why they told him to be quiet. And the other one's this whole son of David thing. That it wasn't so much that he was calling out for healing, but it was what he was saying that really irked them. That he was calling this person who they were watching with close, uh, watching closely, right? They, they were called, he was calling him the son of David. So we had best understand why that got and poked them so much, right? What is it about this phrase, the son of David, that was such a lightning rod in those days and uh, would cause this sort of discussion? So the back page of your, of your sheets, this box, if you want to turn there. Let's take a little journey. You want to go on a little ride with me? You want to take a little trip? Let's take a little excursion into the phrase, the son of David, and what that means. So let's run through this together, right? Did you know 17 verses in the New Testament describe Jesus as the son of David? So this is not a one-off here in Mark 10, right? 17 times in the Gospels, uh, we hear Jesus described as the son of David. But so you have to ask yourself, right? I mean, just ask yourself, self, why would someone call Jesus the son of David when David had died a thousand years ago? Right? That makes no sense. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> well, let's look it up, right? A thousand years. The answer is that Christ was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the seed of David. Right? So when they called him the son of David, they didn't mean he was his literal son, but he was the seed of David, the descendant of David. And now to understand what that really means, we've got to go to 2 Samuel. So turn your Bibles, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. When you were a little boy growing up in Israel and you would go to you would go to synagogue Sunday school right and you would learn about God I'm I'm promising you one of the most often told stories one of the most often told promises one of the first sections of scripture that every little boy growing up in Israel would learn was 2 Samuel chapter 7 it was a promise that they cherished. It was a promise that everyone knew. It was a promise that they all looked forward to. And what was that promise? You remember David said he was going to build a house for the Lord. God sends his prophet and says, No, David, you're not the one who's going to build a house for me. Instead, 
I'm going to make a house out of you. House meaning a dynasty. So look at verse um, 11 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. The Lord declares to you, and who is he talking to? David, right? The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. All right, let's just stop there. Now, do you hear the promise? This is one of these messianic promises that we hear in the Old Testament. Uh, one of the promises that God gives over and over again, that one day the Messiah, the Savior, is going to come and set things right, who's going to restore the kingdom of God again. And so everybody knew that, that uh, this phrase, son of David, was talking about the one God would send to restore all things. The one promised to Adam and Eve at the very beginning. The one that was promised to Abraham in the great covenant that a descendant of his will, uh, will save all nations, right? The same covenant promise that had been repeated over and over gets clearer and clearer here as we see that it will be a descendant of David, right? So you all get that. You follow that logic there? Right? So to call him the son of David means you're saying he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the promised one that we've all been waiting for. Right? So that's why when Matthew, who was writing his gospel to tell the people about who Jesus is, he's telling this story so everybody will know that Jesus is the promised one, the son of God, the Savior of the world, who died and rose again, who prepared a place for them. When he's writing to his fellow brother and sister Jewish people, how does he begin his gospel? Right, with a genealogy. Right? And so we're all like, yawn, genealogy. I'll start at chapter 2 when I'm reading Matthew, right? But for the Jewish folks, if you were going to say that anybody was the one, the promised one, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, what's step one? The first thing you've got to understand and prove that he was a descendant of David. Because no Messiah could possibly be Messiah if he wasn't a descendant of David because everybody knew the promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You get it? Right? So now you see how charged this phrase was. When this blind Bartimaeus calls out Jesus, son of David, look at what he's connecting He's saying, this guy walking around here right now in our midst, this regular-looking average man, is whom? The one, the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one, the Savior of the world. So it is any wonder that the religious leaders are like, be quiet. Stop yelling this blasphemy. Right? Is it any wonder that people get you know, that it just perks their attention, or it call, he calls attention to himself by this phrase. It is just loaded, do you see? It is loaded. 
All right, I got to read on because we're never going to get out of here. Jesus is the promised Messiah, which means he had to be of the lineage of David. Now, did you know this? This is, I think, so cool. Matthew chapter 1 gives the genealogic, genealogical proof that Jesus, in his humanity, was a direct descendant of Abraham and David through Joseph. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, there you'll see Jesus is a descendant of Joseph, Jesus' legal father. But guess what? Right? Think about this. There are those who then could say, ah, you see, you can follow Jesus' genealogy through Joseph to David, but he's not really Joseph's biological son, is he? Right? So that doesn't really count. Although in Jewish thinking, it does count, by the way. Because you, if you are adopted by someone, you, you, you inherit the genealogical lineage of the person who adopted you, the father. Right? But still, there are those who might object. So Luke, did you know in Luke chapter 3 there is another genealogy? Luke also traces Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Jesus, or to David. But guess who Luke follows? Mary. The genealogy of Luke and Matthew are a little different. Because Matthew traces Joseph to David, and Luke traces Mary to David. And so now what we have is this beautiful, because God's wisdom in arranging and giving us the Word of God, the Bible, we have this beautiful proof, as I wrote, that the genealogy in Luke traces lineage through his mother Mary. So Jesus is a descendant of David by adoption through, Jesus, through Joseph and by blood through Mary. So in case you are wondering if he really is a descendant of David, he's got double proof. He's not just a descendant by blood. He's also a descendant by adoption. This guy couldn't be more a descendant of David than Jesus was. You follow me? And that's the beautiful wisdom of the Word of God. You know that it's all here for everybody to know that this one is the descendant of David. So to call him the son of David, the Messiah, the Christ, is totally legit. You get it all? How cool is that? Second paragraph, primarily now. The title Son of a David is, is more than a statement of physical genealogy. It's a messianic title. When people refer to Jesus as the Son of David, they meant he was the long-awaited deliverer, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. So often, Jesus was addressed as Lord, thou Son of David. Now there is even more of a connection. The blind man says, Jesus, son of David. In other places, they call out, Lord, son of David. There's a new connection there, isn't it? Several times, people who by faith were seeking mercy or healing were called, Lord, son of David. For example, the woman whose daughter was being tormented by a demon. Remember that story from Matthew 15? The two blind men by the wayside in Matthew 20? They all cried out, son of David, for help. Lord, son of David. And the titles of honor they gave him declared their faith in him. Calling him Lord expressed their sense of his deity, his dominion, his power, and calling him the son of David expressed the faith that he was the Messiah. So do you see, you can use the son of David sort of two different ways. On one hand, you can say Lord, son of David, 
And you, what you're saying is that this Messiah is the God himself. Or you can say, Jesus, son of David, as Bartimaeus did. And here you emphasize that this human being is the son of God, the son of David, the promised Messiah. We get the, you can see either side of his divine human nature in how the phrase son of David is used. Again, how cool is that? Right? The, the title tells us who he is. He is God in the flesh who was the fulfillment of all the Messianic prophecies. Ooh. <laughs> this is good, isn't it? All in this phrase, son of David. Next paragraph. The Pharisees understood exactly what the people meant when they called Jesus son of David. Right? They knew that promise too, didn't they? But unlike those who cried out in faith, the Pharisees were so blinded by their own pride that they couldn't see what the blind beggars could see. The blind folks see better than the Pharisees did. That here was the Messiah that they had supposedly been waiting for all their lives. They hated Jesus because he wouldn't give them the honor they thought they deserved. So when they heard the people hailing Jesus as the Savior, they became enraged and plotted to destroy him. Right? Like the final straw for the Pharisees, you know, it wasn't when Jesus was doing these great teachings. It wasn't when Jesus was doing even the miracles. The final straw is when the people started to call him the son of David. That was it. That's more than they could take. That was blasphemy. That means that that guy needs to be done away with. He needs to go away because he's, it's blasphemy. So do you understand why they hated that phrase used for Jesus? So next, Jesus further confounded the scribes and Pharisees by asking them to explain the meaning of this very title. There's an amazing exchange that happens in Mark chapter 12 that you guys already looked at. I didn't get to teach that study, but do you remember when, uh, when Jesus says to the Pharisees, I am David, I was before David? Do you remember that whole conversation? This is him trying to explain to them that he is the son of David. You know, he's trying to get very clear uh, about all of that there. That he asked them, then how is this possible? And the teachers of the law could not answer the question. So he expressed the Jewish leaders' ineptitude as teachers and their ignorance of what the Old Testament taught as to the true nature of the Messiah. So he tried to get them to see and understand, but they were just so blinded to their own perception of what Messiah would be and do and what the Messiah would, where, how the Messiah would treat them, that they could not see who Messiah really was and what he was calling them to really be and do blinded, right? I always kind of get a chuckle. You know, Jesus is picking grain on the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees show up and go, you can't do that. It's a Sabbath. You've just broken the Sabbath law. And you remember that, I've, I think I've shared with you before, they, they have believed that if everyone in Jerusalem would just obey all the rules two Sabbaths in a row, that Messiah would come. So all they needed to do, on, uh, they could be bad all week, <laughs> but on these two Sabbaths in a row, just obey all the laws and the Messiah will come. The promised one will come and everything will be restored. So here is the Messiah 
standing right in front of them. And he said, and they say to him, now we got to wait two more weeks for Messiah to come because you just broke the Sabbath law. You get it? Like, this is my chuckle. Like here he is right in front of them and they yearn for him. They long for him. They can't wait for him to come, but they just can't see who he really is. They refuse. So Bartimaeus says, Jesus, son of David. And they go, stop it. Be quiet. We don't want to hear that blasphemy. You understand? So Jesus finally is going to do something about that, isn't he? All right, my last paragraph. Jesus' point in asking the question um, was that the Messiah is more than the physical son of David. If he's David's Lord, he must be greater than David. As Jesus says in Revelation 22:16, I am the root and the offspring of David. Oh. That means he is both the creator of David and he is the descendant of David. There's only one person who could be that. Only the Son of God made flesh could say those words. Do you see? See, only God in the flesh could be David's creator and David's descendant. Do you get this? All this powerful statement, Son of David. Ooh, come on, everybody. Ooh. <laughs> and somehow, Bartimaeus gets that. Don't you wish you had the rest of the story? Wouldn't you love to know the rest of Bartimaeus' story? Where did he hear? Where did this faith come from? Who told him about the things that Jesus was doing, the things that Jesus was teaching? Do you think just by listening outside the gate where people would gather to talk, he was able to pick up on that sort of stuff? You think? I don't know, but I would love to hear the rest of the story. Somehow, this guy has faith this amazing faith, to call out the words. And then Jesus even says to him later, your faith has healed you. Ooh, that's good stuff. All right, so we just did question number two, by the way. So Jesus has always avoided public identification as the promised Messiah because of the slanted, politicized view of Messiah current among the Jews. In the past, we've talked about that messianic secret, right? He's always avoided you know, saying, go and tell everybody who I am, because the time wasn't right. However, this time, Jesus, by responding, gives approval to Bartimaeus, doesn't he? Right? When everyone is saying, Bartimaeus, stop calling Jesus the son of David, what does Jesus do? He says, come on up here, brother. Come on up. And uh, I hear you. He calls him. He, he approves. He doesn't say, stop talking silly. He doesn't say to Bartimaeus, if you keep talking like this, you're going to get me crucified. <laughs> In fact, if you hear what he's saying, he's saying, please keep talking like this because I need to be crucified. Do you, do you see? He's, he's, he's approving of this now. And he's saying, yes, now is the time for everyone to shout it out. Now is the time to call me the son of David. And, and the people must have understood that, that. The crowds must have heard that because what happens on the very next day? Look at, look at Mark chapter 11. What's Mark chapter 11, verse 1? The triumphal entry. And what do people shout? Hosanna, what? Son of David. 
There's not a coincidence that Palm Sunday is set up by a small, nobody person who was blind and sat outside the gate day after day after day after day begging. And this one man of faith initiates the cry of Palm Sunday, Jesus, Son of David, Hosanna, save us. Is that incredible? Right? Is that just amazing? It just blows my mind. Now is the time. Uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life. Now is the time for everybody to see that, to connect who he is with what he came to do. Now is the time to connect these two things, right? Who he is, the Messiah, the appointed one, the chosen one, the deliverer, and what did he come to do? To overthrow the Romans? To set up Jerusalem as the political power of the region again? He came to do us something exactly the opposite, to suffer and die for the sins of the world. Now is the time, Jesus says, to connect who I am with what I came to do, to give my life as a ransom for many. So Bartimaeus, you go ahead and cheer. You go ahead and shout. Uh, he doesn't say to him, no, don't tell anybody. Not this time, right? This time he is a walking illustration of the faith of Jesus, the son of David. You get it? All right, flip the page. My commentator, Lenski, I love him. He says, now we see why all three synoptics record this healing at this point in Jesus' career. Here's the sentence I love. It's not for the sake of the miracle, for Jesus had healed many blind persons already. It's because of this beggar's yell which addressed Jesus as the son of David, the standard title for the Messiah among the Jews. Every evangelist reports this title twice. All three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, repeat it twice, and thus draws our attention to it. Now that Jesus is going to his death in Jerusalem, he accepted the Messianic title openly before the multitude. The more I study the Word of God, a, the more awed I am by it. And, and the more I am just in, I'm just in awe of how nothing happens by coincidence. Nothing. No word is randomly tossed into the word of the inspired and errant and fallible word. It all connects. It all works to do one thing, to point us to Christ, who he is and what he came to do. The more you study it, the more you see these beautiful overlaps. The more you see how it all has a flow and a purpose. Don't you, everyone? Isn't that the beauty of studying the Word? This is why you keep doing this. I mean, you've done it a few times already in your life, haven't you? But isn't it true? The more you do it, the more it starts to make sense. The more beautiful it becomes, the, the more it just is, uh, welcomes you in. And it's just a great, the Word of God is a living thing, isn't it? You all love it? Hey, me too, man. Can't get enough. All right, next. See, the title. The com communicator's commentary said that Bartimaeus's faith was indicated already by his eager response. I didn't catch this. I thought this was pretty cool. It says, throwing aside the ragged garment. See, remember what he said? As soon as Jesus called him, he says, he jumped to his feet. Uh, they called him, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. He's uh, throwing his cloak aside. 
Why did Mark have to tell us that? Who cares if he threw his cloak aside? Remember we just said every word in the Bible has got point and a meaning? Throwing his cloak aside, the communicator's comment says that that's the ragged garment that served functionally to catch the coins. This is when the beggar would sit by the side of the road, you know, he would hold his cloak out and people would throw the coins in, in his cloak. So to cast aside his cloak even before he's healed, what does it say about his faith? Dude's got faith. Cheer up. You don't need that cloak anymore. Cheer up. He's calling you. Cheer up. The son of David's going to do something incredible. Cast aside his cloak, the thing that would functionally catch the coins, and it was also a sign of his beggarliness. Did you even know that was a word? I didn't either, but beggarliness. You use that in Scrabble sometimes. Um, so, do you see, even before he's healed, He's casting aside his cloak. He's casting aside his means of income. He's casting aside being a beggar because now he knows he has seen the son of David. Whoa. Cool, huh? Every word in the Bible has a powerful meaning somehow, some way. All right, number four. Though it was obvious that the blind man wanted, why did Jesus have him state his request? Isn't this interesting? Jesus calls him forward. And, and Jesus says to him, what do you want? Well, what do you think he wanted? Why did Jesus ask the question, what do you want? He's done that many times. Why does he do that? I, I, that's a great point. Why does he do that? See, here's the thing, I think, right? I think the miracle happened uh, because Jesus had, because Bartimaeus responded to a prayer of faith. Jesus is trying to get the people who are watching to see and to hear that when you ask, God delivers. That when you ask in faith, that's when God gives. And so up to this point, Bartimaeus hadn't asked yet, had he? What he did ask for, Jesus, son of David, what do you say next? Have mercy on me. But he still hadn't asked for his sight. So Jesus calls him out on it and says, dude, you're going to have to ask. You're going to have to ask in faith before I can heal. So what's the lesson for everyone who was there hearing the blind man asking for, for sight and Jesus delivering? And what's the lesson for us? Ask. Did Jesus ever tell you to ask? He did many times. He said once, you have not because you ask not. Right? So asking in faith is an important uh, part of what it means to come to Jesus. And so he makes Bartimaeus say it. What do you want? And he gives. Yes. Let me repeat that. She said, in prayer, even though we know what he knows, he knows what we want, in prayer, we still need to be specific. We still need to ask. The answer is yes. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. We still need to ask. Uh, and we're going to talk about this right now. Look at question number five. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Right? What is the role of faith in receiving blessings from the Lord? 
I want to be really clear about this. You know, faith, it's, what did I learn in seminary? Faith is the hand that receives the gift or the blessing or the miracle, right? It's the hand that receives. Uh, Jesus is the cause of the miracle, the blessing, or whatever. So don't mix this up. There's a big difference. Faith is a hand that receives, but it is not the cause. It is not the reason for the miracle. Do you get this? This is important. Jesus is the reason. Grace, mercy is the reason that God responds, that God gives. The reason you get is not because you have strong, powerful faith. Your faith doesn't cause the miracle. Your faith is simply the hand that receives the miracle. The cause of the miracle is grace. The cause of God, the cause is Christ. Right? So otherwise, we, we can slip easily into this sort of works righteousness kind of thing. You know, I need to ask. I need to believe really hard, not a little bit, not just some, but a lot. Then God will deliver. That's a mix-up of what faith is. Faith is a gift from God. You don't create faith. Faith is a gift from God. You don't sustain faith. Faith is a gift from God. You don't grow faith. Faith is a gift that God gives all or nothing. You either have it or you don't. And when does this free gift of faith come into your life? I baptize you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When that water in the powerful word hits your head, you know what's delivered to you? Faith. And you now become this open receiver for the miracle and the work of God. You become this open hand to receive all that God has for you. So to ask in faith, just don't think that that's a cause of the miracle. It's just being open to the miracle to do its work in your heart and your life. You get it all? Yes. Yes. Yep, she made a really good point how we use the word faith differently. Like sometimes we'll say, you don't have enough faith, or your faith needs to be stronger. And when we talk about that, we're not talking about saving faith at that moment, because that's an all or nothing thing. We're talking about a, 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 justifi a justifying faith. It's living out your faith. It's after you've saved. How do you live your life? How do you trust in God? That can always grow. Would you agree? Right? But that we need to be clear that when we're talking about saving faith, it's all or nothing. You don't have a little or a lot. You have it all. But when we're talking about living faith, then we can talk about it. It's, it's, and when we mix those two up, we get into a whole lot of trouble, don't we? Thanks for bringing that up. Right? Saving faith receives not the cause. Okay, all good, everyone? So I'm back to this. Again, Bartimaeus is right above number five. His faith is evidenced. Uh, Mark's Greek text has not just rabbi, but in the Greek he uses an Aramaic word, raboni. And that raboni means my teacher. See, I wish the NIV would have translated that way. If he says, um, um, well, what verse am I now? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. 
I think a, a clearer translation would be my teacher, my rabbi, my Lord, my God, my son of David. We miss that in this word rabbi. It sounds so informal. But this my rabbi is already a confession of faith. Do you hear? Do you see? My rabbi, my teacher. And it was used in that day uh, always in reference to God. And then Jesus says after that, after casting aside the cloak, after coming and calling him my rabbi, my savior, he, Jesus says, yes, your faith has healed you. Number six, what does it say to us that Jesus on his way to his appointment with his destiny took time to stop and help a blind beggar? Is Jesus ever too busy to hear you? Is Jesus ever too busy to stop and meet your needs? Is Jesus ever going to say to you, not right now, i got other things and more important going on than you? You're never going to hear that from him. That's not our Savior God. He is there. He stops. He listens. He cares. So sometimes we are so prone to be in busy motion. We have a schedule to keep. It's not easy to stop. It takes some humility and some reverence for the individual. But this narrative should remind us that it's necessary to any real work of healing. Jesus never healed anybody on the run, did he? Stopping is a necessary part of any genuine ministry in life. Take time to stop. Take time to stop, because when you stop, that's when God works. You get it all? Good lesson? Sweet. All right, well, head on up to church. You know the school is singing today. So you'll get to have that in worship. And then here's the other good news. If you stick around for the social after, the middle school kids are going to stick around. They're having lunch with us. So they're going to mingle with you up in the commons area. And then we're going to do some programming with them afterwards. So you'll get to spend some time talking with some of our awesome little middle schoolers from the school. Not so little. Some of them are giant. <laughs> Blessings, everybody.